0: I greet all of you in the precious name of Jesus Christ this morning. It's so good to have each of you here. There's various visitors with us this morning. We give you a warm Christian welcome and trust that you can find your time here with us rich and enjoyable and find a a blessing here in the body of believers. I invite you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For a text this morning, there's ten verses in this chapter, and we're going to draw five characteristics of a vibrant church from this passage. I've just simply entitled the message, Characteristics of a Vibrant Church, drawing from the young congregation at Thessalonica many years ago, but I believe they're also true today when you see a church that is alive and well, when you see a congregation that is growing and flourishing, you will also find these characteristics. Now, as you're you're turning to 1 Thessalonians, it's interesting to note that this is considered to be the earliest of Paul's writings. He wrote this epistle perhaps around AD 51, You'll also note, as you read through 1 Thessalonians, that it's a very warm and personal letter. It's not nearly as heavy and doctrinal as some of his other letters. And there's not much rebuke, but there's a lot of love. There's a lot of appreciation. There's a lot of encouragement. And so it's it's a letter that, that just feels good. It feels encouraging. It feels like a breath of fresh air as we read through this epistle. There's also two things that we find in chapter 1 in particular that then become a standard for all of his letters that follow. You see, so this is the first that we have, but then, of course, we have many more that he wrote. Two things that become a standard. The one is his greeting. The one is his greeting, And the second is what? It's the reminder that he prays for the people. And so you'll notice in verse 1, the greeting, which he becomes known for then, but also his prayer and his thanks for the people. Follow along as I read, starting at verse 1. Paul, and Silvanus, and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, and labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake." And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Praise God for his word this morning. Now, before we go into the characteristics, it's foundational for us to notice The position of this young congregation. The Apostle Paul writes that this is written unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the church here at Thessalonica was connected to the very source of life, the very source of power. And because of that, they were alive, they were attractive, they were growing. It's a a picture of vibrancy that we find here. And the godly characteristics that were evident among them were so only because of their position in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's all about having first things first, and I want you to think about that. It's about having first things first. Uh, The truth is, we can never expect to have a vibrant church without, first of all, having that Vital connection to Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. See, vibrancy is not primarily found in the programs of the church. Vibrancy is not primarily found in the music, even if it's a cappella. No, vibrancy is not merely found in the teaching and preaching of the church. And yet, sadly, There are many churches today where they have the wrong things first. They are trying to paint the right picture, and yet they're not connected to the right source of power. And and they just simply can't get it right. And in Timothy, 2 Timothy, we read that there are people who have a form of godliness yet deny the power of that. They deny its power. And Paul says, from people like that, you must turn away. But Jesus writes, or Jesus shared, and John writes, in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, and this is the passage that we know as the vine and the branches, Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And so we're looking this morning at the characteristics of this young church. We're looking at the evidence of vitality, of vibrancy. There was fruit that was flowing, that was showing from this congregation. Why is that? It's because they were in God the Father. They were in Jesus Christ. They were connected to the vine. They were connected to the source of power. And so I would say that A vital connection always produces vibrant characteristics. A vital connection always produces vibrant characteristics. And this certainly applies to each of us individually, as well as to the whole here as a body of believers. You see, the church is made up of individuals. The church is made up of people like me like you, each one of us. We are all a part of the body of believers. It's made up of individuals. And so, what kind of a church would you like to be a part of, anyway? Do you want to be a part of a church that is strong, and brave, and pure, and attractive, and vibrant? Well, absolutely, we all do. We say, yep, sign me up. Well, then... It means that we individually must have a passion and a desire to be that kind of a person. To allow Jesus Christ to do that work within us. And as each of us individually have a passion for pursuing that in life, as each one of us individually are connected to the very source of life and power, then... There is a body of believers that is vibrant and attractive, and God can do amazing things through that. So, I want to be a part of a vibrant church. But what does that mean? (laughs) Well, that means that I personally must nurture a close and constant connection with Jesus Christ in my life. You know, as members of the body of Christ, we each play a part in ensuring health, and strength. And each of us shoulder this responsibility. And as we each do truly shoulder this responsibility, it is the making, dear people, of a vibrant church. Now, let us notice five characteristics. Five characteristics. And yes, I noticed again just now uh, that the clocks are not working. I believe Uncle Mark, you mentioned that this morning. So, um, (laughs) whenever I'm done, I'm done, I reckon. Um, That's just the way it is this morning. But these are five characteristics that were evident in the young church there at Thessalonica. And the first is, they were an energetic church. An energetic church, and we find that in verse 3. The Apostle Paul says that, this is what I continually remember, about your congregation. He says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. When I think of you as a congregation, Thessalonica, Christian fellowship, (laughs) I think of these three things. This is what comes to mind, always. You know, physically speaking, an active body is generally a healthy body. And the same is true in the body of believers as well. A healthy body will be characterized by a zeal for the work of the Lord, by a sensitivity to the physical needs of those around them, whether it be within the congregation or in the community around about. But I notice here that the church of Thessalonica was commended for having a faith that worked. They had a faith that worked. Now, in James chapter 2, we are reminded that our faith is proved, or our faith is substantiated by our works. James writes that faith without works is dead, being alone. Or faith without works is no faith at all, he says. Faith without works is dead, being alone. And so Paul was commending this young congregation for having a faith that then worked. You could tell that they were real. You could tell that they were genuine. Because look, look at how they cared for each other in the congregation. Look at how they were the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. There's something real there. And it was attractive. It pointed to vibrancy in their life. The church at Thessalonica was also commended for their labor that was prompted by love. Now that reminds me of Jesus when he was just 12 years old. You know the story, children. You know the story. How many of you are 12 years old this morning? Any 12 year? Okay, a couple of fellas. This was how old Jesus was, just like you young guys. All right. When Jesus was 12 years old. He got lost. <laughs> now, was Jesus really lost? Uh, no, he, no, he wasn't. But his parents didn't know where he was. His earthly parents did not know where he was. Where was he? Well, after a few days they found him, and he was in the temple, and he was discussing spiritual things with the religious leaders in the temple. And when his parents questioned him on that, he said. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Like, do you not understand that, Dad, Mom? I must be about my father's business. And then Jesus went on to show them and to show us what he meant by that. What was his father's business? It wasn't the wood shop. No, it was something much greater than the wood shop. He went on to show us, he modeled a life that unselfishly and compassionately cared for the needs of others. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. His his mission in life was about bringing wholeness to people's lives. And here, this church was commended for their labor that was prompted by love, compassion. The church at Thessalonica was also commended for having a hope that endured. And I want you to notice where their focus was. Verse 10, it says, they are waiting for his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven. That's where their focus was. And so with that focus, they could endure the hardships of life. And and the Apostle Paul says that you received the gospel from me during a time of severe affliction, during much persecution. We could read about that in other passages, but we won't for sake of time. And so they were able to endure the worst that life could bring. Why? Because of their focus. Their focus in the coming of Jesus Christ allowed them to face affliction with joy. Paul says, you received the gospel, you received the word from me in a time of great affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? And he commends them for that. You have a hope that is enduring It's a hope in the return of Jesus Christ. And it is that focus that helps us to get through the hardships of life, helps us to endure. And so this this church was an energetic church. This church was a busy church. And I will say that a vibrant church will always be a busy church. But busy mostly in the things that matter the most. That is eternal matters. You see, God sees your effort. God notices what you're up to. And maybe you think sometimes when it comes to the work of the church that no one knows how much work I put into this. No one knows. And, and, and that sort of is discouraging, perhaps. Sometimes in our flesh, we sort of wish that someone would know just how much I've invested. I understand that. And yet, God sees. God notices. And look what the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 3. He remembers continually these three things which are in the sight of God and our Father. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't see. That God doesn't care. But he sees. He does know what you're going through. He does know the investment and so, with that in mind, don't grow weary, don't give up, but continually give yourself to the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, you see. There is some labor out there today that is worthless in the big picture of life that you're wasting your time with in the big picture of life, but not your work that is in the Lord, not your work that is of eternal significance. Invest the majority of your time in that. Another characteristic of a vibrant church that we see here in this young congregation at Thessalonica is they were elect. A vibrant church is elect. Verse 4. Now, don't don't allow that word election to scare you, okay? It ought not. It It ought to fill you with joy. It ought to fill you with purpose. And we'll notice that here. Knowing, therefore, or knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Another word for that would be chosen. The Apostle Paul was saying that you are loved and you are chosen By God, I want you to know that. I want you to know that. A vibrant church is made up of people who are loved and chosen by God himself. You see, truly, we are God's people. And that that gives us identity. That brings purpose to life. That brings so much fulfillment to life. That makes life worth living because we are loved. We are chosen. We are not just thrown out here to fend for ourselves. And so being chosen brings a sense of acceptance and belonging. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel valued. It makes us feel needed. And, and when I think about this, I, my mind goes back to being a little boy. In playing ball at school with the big boys. And it's time to pick teams. Okay, everyone who wants to play ball, stand in a group here. All right. Now, the captains will be Andy and Morvin. Okay, y'all pick teams. So Andy says, I'll take Paul, biggest guy in the group. Morvin says, I'll take Eric. Next, I'll take Arlen. I'll take Anthony. I'll take Rick. I'll take Josh. I'll t- and it goes down the list like that. And the little boys are just going, you know, they're, they're just biting their fingernails. I mean, and so you get down to the last four scrawny boys, and so they go, okay, you two go over there, and you two go over there. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh. That's painful, you know? And and I I think there's better ways to pick teams. And and, and, yeah, we we do well today. I'm not scolding anyone for, but it it reminds me. You know, God doesn't pick teams like that. Aren't you you glad he doesn't? No, he doesn't. We are all loved. We are all chosen. When When God is in charge, everyone has a place. Everyone is needed. Everyone is valued. being chosen also brings a sense of security it makes us feel cared for it makes us feel provided for being chosen also produces confidence in our lives people who are sure of their calling are confident people you understand what i'm saying if you are sure you're sure of your calling as a believer then you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're confident and you're eager to share what you have learned, to share what you have received. And so a salesman who is sure of his occupation and convinced of his product then shares it and sells it with confidence. And he's effective. He's effective. But it all stems from his certainty of his job and his product. And the same can be true of us as believers today. The fact that God loves you and the fact that God has chosen you brings meaning to life. It brings assurance to your life. You can then step into the world of of frustrations and, and discouragement and pain and hardship and You can step into a world like that and face it because God has something in store for you. God has given you something. You are a child of God. Being chosen brings purpose to life, and it reminds us that we have an important part to play in God's kingdom because, you see, God has chosen you, and so he's counting on you. He wants to use you in his kingdom. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 and just note a few beautiful verses here. Ephesians chapter 1. And let's note verses 3 through 6. So what I'm saying here is that being elect, being chosen, is a wonderful reward. But along with it comes responsibility. And so we'll see both of those in these few verses. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And I want you to get this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Do you understand that before God even created the world, He had a plan in place for you, for your salvation. When men fell into sin there in the garden, it did not take God by surprise. He did not go, oh, no, I didn't see this coming. How is this possible? And he didn't scramble to put something together. Not at all. But God had the plan of salvation in mind. You were chosen before the world was created. Verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? is that beautiful? You know, Dan, sometime perhaps you could preach a passage like that as it relates... To adoption, you know? I mean, really, you know kind of the ins and outs of adoption and what those children go through and the rejection they feel and, and what adoption does for them and how, how it gives them acceptance and belonging and purpose. And it could be beautiful. And, and yet, in a spiritual sense, we, we experience that as well through Jesus Christ. Being chosen, being chosen, certainly there are many rewards and blessings that are a part of that, and yet there are responsibilities. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to show forth the praises of him who has called us out. And that is the overarching purpose and goal of our life, to glorify God, To show forth his praises because of what he has done for us. Another characteristic of a vibrant church is found in verse 7 back in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. And that is, a vibrant church is exemplary. Exemplary. Now that word exemplary means deserving imitation or serving as a pattern, commendable. The Apostle Paul was saying that this young congregation at Thessalonica deserves to be imitated. In fact, they are a pattern for others, and he commends them for it. But first of all, the Apostle Paul reminds the church of his example, Notice this, verses 5 and 6. He says that when he came to them, his preaching to them was not just his own words. It wasn't just his own lofty ideas, ideas of, of how church should be and how people should act. It was not that at all. But instead, it was the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through him. He says it was from the Holy Spirit, therefore it was powerful, and it developed conviction, deep conviction in the people. It said it came to them in much assurance. So he spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that gospel then made an eternal impact in their lives, creating deep conviction for what they heard. Deep conviction then doesn't just end in the mind, in the heart. But deep conviction always then is fleshed out, expresses itself in the way of life, in lifestyle. So don't tell me that you have a conviction for something when it is not evident in your life. Okay? Deep conviction begins through the revelation of God's word through the Holy Spirit, it's grasped, believed, and then expressed in life. And the Apostle Paul says, you can be assured that what we shared was true, was right, and it wasn't just our ideas, because look at the impact it made. Look how it changed your life. And so he also says that his personal lifestyle of him and Silas and Timothy, their personal lifestyle was such that could be safely followed. They were men of honesty. They were men of integrity. He says, we lived among you. You saw us. You heard us. You watched us. You watched how we lived. And then you saw that what we were saying, we believed it. We lived it out. We weren't just speaking something and living something else. But he says, we were among you. You saw what manner of men we were. And so he first of all points to his example, but then he notes their example. He says, now you have become a model to all believers in your country you have become a model. Let me just say that an exemplary church is not one that is just merely following a great teacher or a great preacher. That in and of itself does not create an exemplary church. But an exemplary church... <laughs> I rolled my R. This is not Spanish. okay? Exemplary church is one that is walking in step with Jesus Christ. First and foremost, that is the foundation. Now, I understand that those two ought to go together. They ought to go together where you have teachers and preachers that are effectively teaching the Word of God in a way that is practical to everyday life. And people that are walking with Christ, those two ought to go together. And we certainly see that it was that way in this young congregation at Thessalonica. But various times in Paul's writings, he called the people to follow him. It sounds a little heady, does it not? Follow me. But he doesn't end there. He never ended there. He would always qualify it by saying, as I follow Christ, or some wording similar to that. Follow me. As I follow Christ. And I want you to to note here. The powerful pattern of influence. That we see in this passage. As it relates to this thing of example. And so like I said. The Apostle Paul first spoke of his example. And then he spoke of their example. And dear people. It's a powerful pattern of influence. That doesn't stop then with the people at Thessalonica, but it continues on. And so, in verses 6 and 7, we read that, ye became followers of us, and of the Lord, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So we have this, this powerful pattern of influence that starts with the Lord, and then it is passed on to the Holy Spirit, and then on to the Apostle Paul, and then on to the Thessalonians, and then on to everyone everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? It continues. It continues on. But it it all stems from the Lord Jesus Christ. It all flows out of the truth and power of the word. And when that is the source, then there is effectiveness. Then there is, there is power. There is vibrancy. And that ripple effect will continue and continue. I wonder how it is for us today. How will South Boston, Virginia, see Jesus? how will Halifax County, how will Southern Virginia, how will they see Jesus? Is it not through God's people? Is it not through the church? Is it not through you and me? In fact, we are the hands of Jesus. We are the feet of Jesus. We are the mouth of Jesus. And when our greatest goal in life is to follow his pattern, then we become an example that is safe to follow. By the way, we are setting an example. Our lives are influential. The way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we dress, the way that we drive, the way that we do business, the way that we... Express ourselves on social media. All of those things are influential. They're all speaking, they're all painting a picture to those around us. And I trust, dear people, that that picture is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if it is, this church here will grow, it'll grow. You see, a vibrant church is an attractive church, but it's not attractive because of me. It's not attractive because of you, but it's attractive because of Jesus Christ. And so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you, right? No, no. glorify the preacher. No, 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 glorify your father, which is in heaven. See, it, it all goes back to him when things are in their proper place. That's where the power is. Fourthly then, another characteristic we see is that a vibrant church is an evangelistic church. A vibrant church is evangelistic. And we see that the church here at Thessalonica was exactly that. Paul writes that your faith, verse 8, your faith In God has become known everywhere. Isn't that powerful? Your faith in God has become known everywhere. And I I mentioned the ripple effect as it relates to example, that powerful pattern of influence. But notice again the ripple effect as it relates to this evangelistic ripple effect, okay? So he says in verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. I love that. It's, it just reminds me of a trumpet. Sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia. That's speaking of at home. We could say, not only in southern Virginia. And Achaia, well, that goes out further. He said this, the word of God sounded out from you, not just at home, not just southern Virginia, not even just abroad or in the state of Virginia, but he says, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. So all over the country and beyond, we could say, the faith, the testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ was being shouted out because of this young church. It's a picture of a church that just simply couldn't be quiet. It couldn't be quiet. And obviously, they had said enough that even Paul said, we don't even need to say anything else. But I find it interesting that not only were they saying enough, and they were living also consistent with what they were saying, that also now those around were speaking of them and were saying, look at that church. Look at those people. Look at the way they live their lives. And so now other people were sounding out the word of the Lord because of them. So Paul said, we've done our part. We brought you the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. We live lives of integrity. You believed it. Praise God. You've develop deep conviction, you're living it out. And now we can step back. We don't need to say anything else because the gospel is continuing to flow because of that work. And now other people are confirming it and saying, look, other people are now pointing to you. You know, the more I study the Bible, the more I believe that God's people are not characterized by simply being the quiet in the land or by establishing tight little sheltered communities with shiny vehicles and pretty gardens and yards and super clean houses and wealthy businesses. No, that's not how God's people are characterized. That is not the primary characterization of God's people, but instead that I believe God's people will be known as those who are actively and purposefully engaging with society in healthy and meaningful ways. They are people who are looking for and taking opportunities to establish relationships for the purpose, I say for the purpose, of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Think about their businesses. These are people who the overarching, the, the overarching goals of their businesses is not to amass money, but it is to be vehicles for sharing Jesus Christ with the community. These are people who are regularly stepping out of their comfort zone in order to be obedient to the call of Jesus Christ. And I think of Jared and Rolanda, a very fitting uh, explanation of this. Do you think they've always wanted to be in harm's way? Do you think that was on their bucket list to be in a dangerous place, to raise their family in a dangerous place? No. But they felt God calling them to be involved in this part of his world. And that that deep sense of calling took them there regardless of what it felt like on the outside. Regardless of how dangerous it might have seemed. I say, that is a character trait of God's people. They are willing to step out of their warm, nice, cozy little communities to be obedient to the call of Jesus Christ. And they are people that are not ashamed to Openly speak the truth, the truth of the gospel, even when it might hurt, even when it's not popular, because they know that it has the power to change lives in a way that nothing else can. And so my friend Ray, he contacted me today. It's a a fellow in the community that we're back and forth on spiritual things regularly. And he contacted me the other day and he said, he said, Josh, do you believe that Romans chapter 1 is speaking out against the gay, lesbian community? He said, if it is, why is the mainstream church not speaking about it? Why are they not doing something with that? I said, absolutely it is, Ray. It's all through there. I said, we must proclaim it. I said, the church of Jesus Christ is to be salty and seen. And it's not going to be popular. And it may be dangerous. It may be costly, but we must stand for truth. These are the days we live in. Dear people, in order for evangelism to be effective, It must be a lifestyle. It must be a lifestyle. And I want to challenge you just a moment with that. In Matthew chapter 28, in the verses that we know as the Great Commission, Jesus says, To go ye therefore and teach all nations. I've always found it interesting to notice another rendering of that, and that is, As you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. You see, too often times we reserve evangelism for those structured times of of handing out tracts, of having cottage meetings, of having summer Bible school, of having kids clubs, of going to the D.C. street meetings. That's evangelism. And and rightfully so. It is evangelism. But I say too often we reserve it For those things. And all the while we're going about our lives. We're passing person after person. We're missing opportunity after opportunity. Because we fail to realize that evangelism works best when it's a way of life. It's a way of life. And so in a sense Jesus was saying. As you go. As you go make disciples as you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, as you go to the doctor's office, as you shop at Walmart, as you talk to the sales rep, as you hang that garage door, as you help that discouraged customer, as you you fill in the blank, go with the disciple-making mentality. See, it's, it's it's about relationships. It's about developing relationships. Look for opportunities to share your faith in Jesus Christ. And I truly believe, brothers and sisters, that when we as individuals and as a congregation can catch a vision for actively sounding out the word of the Lord, it is the making of a vibrant church. It's the making of a vibrant church. And when that is stemming from the Lord Jesus Christ when the truth of God's word is the source of that, just watch what happens. Just watch what happens. There's power there. It will continue and continue and continue to do its beautiful work. Lastly, then, a characteristic of a vibrant church is expectancy. A vibrant church is expectant. Verses 9 and 10. A vibrant church is one that is anxiously awaiting Jesus' return. Now, it's important to note in verse 9 that a vibrant church is made up of people who have experienced an authentic salvation experience. Notice what it says. For they themselves, when it says they themselves, the Apostle Paul is saying, he's not talking about the people at Thessalonica. He's not talking about Paul and Silas and Timothy. He's talking about all the people who have heard the word of God all around. Macedonia, Achaia, everywhere. All of those people, he says, they themselves show us, or they're reporting what manner of entering in we have. They are declaring that the gospel has made an eternal difference in your life. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so I say that the vibrant church is made up of people who have experienced an authentic salvation experience. And when I say authentic, I mean that The gospel has changed them. They are different. They are not the same person they used to be. They have different hungers in life. They have different habits in life. Why? (laughs) Why? Because they are no longer at odds with Christ. But they are in fellowship with him. Their lives are now now absolutely tapped in to the source of true life and power, that is Jesus Christ. They're not living for themselves, but they're living for someone else. They're living for a new master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul writes another place. If any man be in Christ, there's that position again. Absolutely foundational to the characteristics that come out. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And one of the new things, it's not just our heart, our hunger, our habits, but another new thing we experience is a new destiny. A new home. Notice that. We have a new home. And we, we read at the very end of verse 10 Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. You see, hell is what we deserve, dear people. But because of Jesus, heaven is what we receive. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God for that. You see, the born again believer has nothing to fear. Now, we did have something to fear before we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ. Because he writes in Ephesians 2, you were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You were the object of God's wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? It's powerful. And so, The believer, the born-again believer, has nothing to fear. They do not have to fear the wrath to come. That used to be the case, but because of Jesus, we now have the hope of heaven. We can anxiously await his return. We don't have to await the return of Jesus like a child waiting for daddy to come home from work and spank him. (laughs) No, praise God. Praise God. But because of Jesus, we now look towards eternity with eager expectancy, and we sing, O oh Lord Jesus, how long? How long? Ere we shout the glad song, Christ returneth, hallelujah. We look forward to that day. And so a vibrant church is an expectant church, and an expectant church is one that is, in, that is living in such a way as to receive the prize. They're living in such a way. It's proof. And so I ask you again, what kind of a church do you want to be a part of this morning? What kind of a church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a vibrant church? Well, I do. I certainly do. But remember, dear people, that the church is made up of individuals. The church will never be more pure and holy, and honest, and transparent, and genuine, and attractive than the people that are in it. And so, the church will only be alive, and attractive, and healthy, and strong as you are, as I am. Do you want to be a part of a church that is energetic, elect, exemplary, evangelistic, and expectant, then be that kind of a believer and God will do great things through your congregation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the power of your word that's been given to us again this morning. Lord, it is such a privilege to have this time of freedom where we can gather together and encourage one another and challenge one another And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has delivered us from the wrath to come. Oh Lord, we're not worthy of that. We're worthy of hell. We're worthy of death. And yet you have given yourself for us by sacrificing your son Jesus Christ On the cross. Through his blood, we now have forgiveness of sins. We now can have a right relationship with God the Father and with one another. We now have a song to sing. We now have a story to tell. And Father, I pray that through the testimony of each one of us, through the testimony of this congregation, that not only many others would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but that you, Overall would be glorified. And so may you find us faithful. And Lord, we look forward to your return. Help us, help us to faithfully focus our attention on the coming of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we do that, may that put everything else, all the other things of life, in their proper perspective. And Lord, we need your help for this. And we ask you, to strengthen us in these days that we live, we pray in Christ's name.